As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, what is going on today, man? This is our last show together for a while because I'm going on vacation immediately after this podcast, basically. So, you know, I guess we got to savor this one. You're gonna be you're gonna be carrying carrying the piano next week. I'm excited for that personally. I'm I'm glad you're getting away, Sam. You deserve a you deserve a break. You deserve a, a little rest and relaxation you deserve time away from me most importantly and uh you know i hope that uh you get some sun and uh a little bit of a mental break from the lovely american soccer world that uh i can tell you one thing i'm not going to be watching mls live from a hammock i'll tell you that well that is not obviously not because mls live doesn't exist anymore you'll be watching espn plus from a hammock Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a good catch, and and you, you caught me. Um, so there you go. Semantics. I'll be watching ESPN Plus from a hammock. <laughs> um, speaking of, I guess that's a that's a weird natural segue into our first segment or our first topic of today's show, which is kind of an extension of last week's show, which is additional sort of reflections. Now that we've had some more time to sort of digest and talk to people and let the dust settle on the MLS and Apple TV deal. Obviously, anyone that listened to the show last week will know the broad strokes of what we are talking about. And I think last week, Paul, we both had a pretty positive tone overall for the most part. And I still think largely this is a pretty positive deal for MLS. Um, But I think there are some things that are worth pointing out that we've both sort of been talking to people around the league and in the industry about over the last, what, seven, eight days now that sort of bear emphasizing. Um, so let's dive into those. As as you've done some additional reporting and thought about this more, what has stood out to you that maybe we didn't highlight as much at the beginning of our coverage of this of this agreement. I think the main factor that people are looking at as a negative here in this current iteration of this deal is the length of the deal. The the fact that it's a 10-year deal. And I think, you know, you and I kind of rightfully I think focused on the most important point here, which is that this deal was so far above what MLS would have gotten otherwise that it was a good decision because they would have been so Financially, it would have been so significantly different. But, you know, a lot of people believe that it might have been worth taking a shorter term deal and hoping to to benefit from that balance from the 2026 World Cup than to take a 10-year deal that locked you in significantly through that 2026 year. And, and you know, one person kind of pointed out it was kind of the way that the the league had been able to negotiate and finagle a couple extra years out of the union to get through that World Cup year, they kind of lock themselves into the same deal. And so I think the length of the deal to me, the 10-year deal and the distance that that's going to put between them and the other leagues, it has it has locked MLS into an economic model, barring the owners having a change of heart. And it will and the gap between the top leagues and MLS will grow over the course of that 10 year 10 years because 
all those other leagues have have media deals that will come up before this one expires. Sam, do do you feel like that's kind of been what what stuck with you, or are there other aspects of it that that stood out? Yeah, that's the main thing. I think people are excited about the content possibilities. And one thing that's sort of stuck out in conversations that I've had with people on the sporting side of clubs is that they think that this will help MLS in a certain way if help MLS kind of ease the perception, what they feel is a perception gap or a gap in perception between what the league actually is and how players and teams and people abroad think of it. They think those people think of it as worse than it actually is. So Apple TV, in theory, will be able will be able to make make MLS games much more easy to watch for people abroad, and they think that will actually help with recruitment. They think it'll be an easier sell um, when they're trying to convince a player to come over and sign than it would have been otherwise. So I think that's one aspect, but the length is the main thing. Um, and I'll just pull something up. Stefan Szymanski and or Simansky, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He wrote Soccernomics. He was one of the authors of that book, which was pretty formative, I think, in a lot of these discussions about a decade ago. Um, he tweeted something out last week, and, and I may have referenced this on last week's show, I can't even really remember, um, about where the average annual value of $250 million per year puts MLS globally in terms of per money or money per year per team. And, and basically that sum puts the league right in between the Dutch league and the Portuguese league in terms of value per year per team. And, and now MLS will get a little bit more once you factor in the linear deals that have yet to be reached. Um, but that's generally the ballpark that they're in. And when you expand that 10 years from now, you know, like that's going to be, you're not, you're not going to even be in between those leagues theoretically anymore. You're going to be way, way, way behind them. And, and so that's the main thing. I think it's the length. However, from everything we've been told, there weren't really any alternatives. And when there aren't alternatives, Apple can sort of dictate the terms. So they're maybe paying more upfront than they should be, or than MLS is worth. But on the back end, they're, they're betting that they're going to get a deal. And I think that's sort of the give and take here. If MLS wanted that money, they had to give the years to Apple. And I think that's I think that's where we landed. I think that's a fair assumption. So that's the main thing for me. Though. And Sam, I mean, I think I pointed this out last time, but I think that's very similar to how people perceived the last year, the last deal with ESPN, Fox and Univision, that that was an eight year deal that was a longer term than most leagues were signing at that point in time. And that that was the bet that ESPN was making. And it turns out, you know, based on what the negotiation was at the end of the deal, that there wasn't really a bargain, that that that, that market didn't really change all that really, much. I don't really agree. I, know you don't, I don't think you can say I don't, that. I'm not really speculating here in that we know what the offer, well, we have a pretty good idea what the but, offer was from but ESPN. But you are, you are, because like you don't know how MLS's behavior would have changed if it had been a four-year deal. Would they have changed how they govern the league? Would they have spent more money? Like, Would they have felt pressure to create a more compelling par- product faster knowing that they had their TV rights to come up. I mean, if they took there's less no way, money. There's no way to answer that. There's no way to answer that question. Yeah, I just think that by the end of the deal, it's not as though now ESPN was negotiating for a product that was worth way more. They were negotiating down. They were negotiating their, their, their price down, not up. So I think that's indicative that at the end of that deal, there wasn't, there wasn't a regret from MLS in terms of Basically, that ESPN wasn't looking at it being like, well, we've been paying $30 million these last few years for a league that's now worth $50 million a year. Um, I guess well, I guess it is. To be, it is to be fair, they weren't, they weren't negotiating down. They weren't negotiating down. Because they, they paid $35 million for MLS and U.S. soccer. ESPN did. So, they were negotiating up, barely, for a fewer number of games as well. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's an interesting dynamic that MLS now faces. And Sam, I want to get your thoughts on this, what you think about it. The one person I was talking to was basically like, we're taking a product now that, you know, a very small audience desires and that not that a larger audience doesn't really want. And you're sticking it behind a paywall and a paywall that has just MLS behind that paywall and that that is going to be severely restricting to the league's growth. And I wonder how, much, how important you think it is that es that sorry that apple and mls figure out some sort of you know expanded aspect or or that they really utilize that apple those apple plus games 
to try to reach a, a larger market to entice people to subscribe or to entice people to watch? How concerned are you essentially that it's an MLS-only app, an MLS-only subscription in terms of the growth of the league in this deal? I mean, I, th- I am a little bit concerned about that. Um, we touched on this a little bit last week as well. And I think the, the the thing that I said then, which I'll stand by for the most part now, is that they were trying it the other way for 25 plus years. And where did that get them? So why not try something different? The length of it, you know, again, there are concerns with that. Because if you if you do this for 10 plus years, where does that leave you in terms of possibilities for growth? Um, I think there's little doubt that fewer people will be watching nationally. Um than if it was strictly linear and we know that those those games aren't exactly gangbusters in terms of their viewership numbers uh so yeah there there are some concerns there but we also don't know what the landscape's gonna look like in 10 years in terms of how people watch things in general so you know i'm, I'm okay with mls making that bet i'm less concerned about that aspect of it than about the financial aspect of locking yourself in for 10 years to a minimum um payment that you know it could go up they have the revenue share agreement but i'm more concerned about that part of it than about the audience part which maybe is naive i I don't know like i'm saying that out loud and it doesn't even quite sound right to me so yeah i mean i I just wonder perhaps i can change my mind before the segment ends i reserve the right to change my mind before the segment ends. i wonder what you're like do you believe you're locked in now, right? Like I said, the economic model of MLS is locked in, or at least the, the media payments for the league are locked in now for 10 years. They're not going anywhere uh, unless these linear deals go up. But I, I believe... Right. Or unless this revenue share agreement is incredible. Right. right. Um, do you think that knowing that you're kind of locked into that deal for 10 years, do you see the owners voting to change either... You know, before the expiration of the CBA, after the 2026 World Cup, or that in that next CBA negotiation that there will be drastic changes to the structure of the league. Does, does that change at all, or does this lock them in more to the way that business has always been done? I I honestly don't know. Like, I was thinking about this the other day. I honestly have no idea. It seemed like the tide was starting to turn a little bit. You know, Adrian Hanauer had those comments that I believe we spoke about on the show before the CCL final second leg in Seattle, the Sounders owner, about sort of saying, yeah, we need to do more. And and I think MLS does need to do more. I don't think that's any secret. But I, I don't know. Like, when, when I look at this deal, this is a deal that's better for the smaller owners and the smaller teams than it is for the bigger teams, Right. The bigger teams are the ones that are generating some revenue from their local broadcasts in the current system. They're now losing out on that, right? They're the ones that are getting good viewership numbers from their local broadcasts. They're now losing out on that. They're, they might have smaller audiences for their games now than they did on their local broadcasts. So this isn't necessarily a great thing for them. The extra $5 million in revenue, like what is Atlanta United going to do with that? They can put it into the academy. They can put it into marketing efforts. They can do a lot of things with it, but how can they put it into the first team? They can't. They're maxed out, right? This isn't going to give them a competitive advantage. Like maybe they'll spend maybe they'll spend three million extra on their DP transfers and salaries per year. Like, is that really going to make a huge difference when they're already spending twenty million a year on those guys? Like, probably not. So. For the big teams, I don't think this is going to have a huge impact. For the smaller ones, it'll help them significantly. And when you think about the structure of MLS, that's kind of how the league has governed itself for forever. And so if you if you look at the TV deal in that same lens, then it's sort of, I don't know, is that a signal that like, hey, the small the smaller time owners still have the power here and they're going to hold that and the system's going to continue on or am i reading too much into that i i don't know paul like what do you I think mean, like i don't know if this is a signal for yeah me. i mean i think it di- i think the the decision to sign this deal was dictated by the fact that it was so much more money than they could have gotten elsewhere that all the owners yeah, were on board yeah i think that's that's the bottom but the but is, the fallout no the fallout of that is that this is yet another area where there is more of a benefit for one subsection of teams and owners than there is for another and the question is whether those other owners are going to push behind the scenes to make change and again i think what what 
matters most significantly is that there has been a pivot in kind of how you talk about what that change can look like, that it doesn't have to change how much teams are spending. It just changes the way that money is spent and that that makes it a lot harder for a small market team to argue against it. You know, this isn't the gap growing of how much money is being spent. It's 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 a it's a test of ambition and, and actually spending that money because now if you spread that money out more, you can have well-rounded, better, ba- yeah. better balanced or rosters. You don't have to either. But like to me, man, that's the that's the only thing that matters here because this financial increase, the windfall that teams are going to take home from this deal compared to what they're getting right now in the current deal, according to the sporting directors and GMs and technical directors and those people that I've spoken to about this, no one thinks that this deal is a game changer in that way. No one. Um, So if it's not going to be a game changer in that way and you're locked into it for 10 years, how do you actually improve? How do you actually get better? Well, you can spend more and lose more money or you can change the rules in a way that makes things more efficient. And until MLS does that, it's just like, it's just hard for me to take it seriously in terms of them actually wanting to be one of the best leagues in the world yeah, on the timeline that they say they want to be. And, and like, I can't really take that at face value when they're holding themselves back from improving the quality in a way that I think would be pretty easy and quick to change. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, look again, I want to come back to this point. Do I think MLS should have signed this deal with Apple? Yes, because I do think it was so much higher than anything else that was out there. And they still have the option to have these linear games on ESPN and Fox and Univision. So they will still have some visibility. And yes, it's a decrease in games with ESPN, but it's not a significant decrease. It's not like it's going to be, you know, overly noticeable. And as long as their product's still on Univision, they're still getting exposure to this massive Latino market that exists in in the U.S., um, and the League's Cup is still there. There's all these different places where there's growth possibility for the league in, in more visible places um, than this Apple deal. But, yes. Gambling. Gambling as yeah. well, by the and, way, and rights for that. And I, that could be a major driver of revenue, potentially. Right, and I think, and also a major driver of audience. You know, uh, you know I still think MLS can take advantage of the summer when they are, you know, it's them and baseball um, and, to, and, and golf. To really push for for a bigger audience to tune into their games and bet on their games, is this is this where we talk about your fantasy golf league, Paul? Well, I don't want to. I mean, I'm in second place right now. If you want to go into specific <laughs> details, um, out of how many? Uh, I think we're at like 34, 35. Paul is Paul is like a real golf dad now. For those of you in the audience that do not know, he he's been participating in the fantasy golf league for how many years? Five, like a long five, time. Five years now, I think. And and you just pick guys every week. It's like a one and just, done league. You just post up. It's a one and done league. You pick one guy every week and you get whatever purse they win. I've got Joaquin Neiman this week in the Travelers. If people want to know and keep up with who my golfer is, no, no one knows. You know what? what For a while, about. Weeby was texting me asking who my guy was and and following oh, my guy. Oh man, so. that is some company some, that you're keeping. Some my people man. do want to. You know. and Weeby just chatting golf. Yeah, man. Ugh. So yeah, I'm. But no, that is not a group chat. But that's a great example, though. Like I watch golf every week and I watch golf every week because I'm in a one and done league. I would never normally watch. I never used to watch every single golf tournament every single week. Poor Nikki, my wife, is like so (laughs) depressed about this one and done league because we watch golf every weekend when my guy is contending. But like, you know, that's what that's what caused me to start watching golf every week was that was I was in this league. And I think. That's exactly what sports betting does with audience. It pulls people in that normally wouldn't be watching. And that's that's a, a huge area of growth potential for Major League Soccer, both nationally now that sports betting is, is becoming more commonplace in, in states around the country where they've legalized it, but also internationally as well. Um, also, it can be straight up lucrative. Of like, course. If you partner with a DraftKings. Which they whatever, have done. They've like partnered. That, you know, they, they post their that, lines on their website now and all of that. But there, there's... No, but like when you actually like do like the real gambling deal, like this is the exclusive whatever. I, I don't know exactly how it works, but those can be, I believe, like insanely lucrative. Yeah. So it's... it's um, all these different areas for growth still exist. But this being allocation disorder, we always like to take our optimism and positive takes and temper them with that idea that you came back to Sam that the league is the only thing holding itself back from growth at this point in time that their commitment to this 
infrastructure and these rules are the number one thing holding them back from growth. And that this isn't, it doesn't even have to be more spending. It just has to be an acknowledgement that the league has grown beyond these rules. And, you know, I think there are going to be more and more and more examples of that coming up. I think you're going to see more players who develop domestically, who are going to leave MLS, players who are signed internationally, who develop here, who are going to leave, who wouldn't otherwise leave if if teams had more wiggle room and well, different it's fine if they, it's fine if they leave because they need to be a seller and like that sure. that's real but, but some people are going to leave for free some people like i'll bring up miles robinson as the example like i think miles robinson is is an example of the change that's going to come where an atlanta united is going to be forced to sell him out of the league versus moving him in the league because there are fewer teams willing to give dp spots to center backs now you know, maybe you find and, and, and also if you there's no way for teams to buy a player internally for the money that it would take to sign Miles Robinson. Like these are all examples of things that the league could change. They have the power to change to grow yeah. with the way the league has grown. It's not this is not growing for growth sake. It's that the league has grown. It has taken a new place in the global market. Its players' valuations are no longer immune to the global marketplace because MLS is selling more. Yeah. And as a result, yeah. as a result, player valuations for everyone are higher, which is good for the league overall, but it's changed the dynamics of internal transfers, the salary cap structure, everything. everything. Yeah. And they haven't changed any of it other than how much money they get to keep from homegrown sales, basically, which benefits right. those smaller market teams, smaller market, smaller spending teams that are more reliant on homegrown player sales. They benefited from that rule more than anyone. So we, we need a new word, by the way, instead of small market. Like we should be come up with a better descriptor. Yeah. Like less ambitious. Yeah, basically. I mean, we've used like, that before. But yeah, it's just it's time to change. And, and I agree with you, Sam. Like I think whatever you want to take about this deal – how are you going to sell subscriptions to make people watch MLS? You're going to get better as a league and you're going to entice people to watch you. And the best way to do that is to change your rules and improve the product on the field. And if they don't do that, then they're going to see the same audiences in a different way with subscription sales. And they're going to face the same challenges they've always faced. But all of that being said, they had to, I think they had to sign this deal with Apple. And I do think that yeah. they can find ways to maximize this deal and i do think that over the course of it sounds like apple's a very willing partner in kind of our conversations to say kind of flexible in different ways like hey if you find the right partner internationally globally to do um like you like you have with espn domestically or univision like we're open to you signing a deal for x sure. number of games to be shown on sky sports or whoever like it seems like apple's willing to try to grow mls too like they're partners in this right so, yeah, well, they, they do have an incentive because they want to show other leagues that, hey, you can come to Apple TV and you won't lose audience. Right. And like this can still be a viable thing. For and, you. and I think that that could be good in that. I think we could see, OK, hey, we need to we need to throw a couple more games outside of the subscription paywall onto Apple Plus. We need to do a couple, you know, mm -hmm. different ways of promoting it to pull more people in. We need to give that app for free on iPhones or whatever. Like those are the different things that I think could really help this deal, you know, as it as it runs out basically as, as, yeah. it, as it plays out. One other thing that I wanted to articulate um, that didn't make it into last week's show. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they told me that they were listening to, to our show on allocation disorder and they were actually like surprised, but also encouraged because they were like, you know, here I am expecting Sam and Paul to just come and like lay waste to everything like they usually do. And you guys were like pretty positive. And I was like, man, that's scary. So no better sign anyway. that you need a vacation to get back into yeah, your normal. Like this is becoming a positive podcast. Like we need to take I, a break. Well, I don't like that. Spe speaking of breaks. Um, any other any other things you want to articulate about the deal before we go to go no, to a during break this break? Transition, we're going to try to get angry. Topics. Let's get angry during this break and come back and be normal allocation. All right. Personally, I'm going to blow my nose because I'm having issues <laughs> over here. But you you go ahead and get angry. All right, stay with us. Allocation disorder. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Saskal. He is Paul Tenorio. We have talked now for four consecutive segments about MLS and Apple. We are done for now talking about that. I know, merciful for some of you. I am sure lost in all of the excitement and uh, discussion about that deal was the fact that the U.S. men's national team recently completed a set of four friendlies. Or, excuse me, two friendlies and two CONCACAF Nations League games. I do not know how I made that mistake, Paul. What is How dare you? I know. Um Honestly, there weren't a ton of things to take away. I don't. I didn't think on an individual level, in terms of player performance from those four matches, uh, there were some tactical things that Greg Berhalter did that were different in terms of build up and, and dropping a midfielder, Yunus Musa, namely, deeper that I liked and I thought were good. But Paul, there are now only two games left until the U.S. heads to Qatar for the World Cup. Those two will be in September in Europe against Saudi Arabia and Spain and against Japan in a to-be-determined location, probably Germany, according to reports and what we're hearing. Um, so those those will be over there, two, two opponents that are headed to the World Cup themselves. Um, but not much time left for guys to, to try and work their way onto the, their roster. We still do not know if it's going to be 26 or 23-man roster for the World Cup. Uh, we're sort of assuming that it'll be 26. I thought the confirmation would come before now. Uh, we do not have that yet. Um, but you and I, we did a, a predicted roster, our 2.0 version, last week. And I, I feel like I've already have changed my mind from some of the picks that I made. But what did you see from, from those four sets of games in June against Morocco, Uruguay, Grenada, and in a mud pit in El Salvador? And and what you know, what are you kind of keeping an eye on here over the next few months before those September games? Well, I think I think it certainly confirmed some of the areas of the roster that I felt that there were question marks about. Um, and I, I think it confirmed where those final few spots are being battled out. Um, I, 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 like you, really, in, really thought that the change, the tactical change in dropping Musa deeper helped in multiple ways. I, I think it helped in building out of the back. I think it helped in getting Christian Pulisic into more dangerous positions. Um, I think it also, you know, will will make very interesting the lineup choices if they play that way in Qatar, because now you have a, a battle between Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson, potentially Gio Reyna uh, for the same midfield spot. And that to me is is super, super intriguing. Um, but really, you know, I think the question marks there are at left back. I think they're at center back, still at the number nine position. And then at that central midfield winger spot, because of this change and this tweak in formation, I think it opens up a competition in central midfield. I think it opens up a competition at that winger spot. Who's playing where? Um, That is certainly very interesting. And it made roster selection this time much more difficult for me in kind of where am I putting the depth? Where am I, you know, what players are, are in and which players are out in those final few spots? And it's not easy, man. Doing the, When you actually sit down to do these rosters, it becomes very, very difficult to manage, you know, those last three, four spots. Um, and, and it's funny because we're... Which, as we know, right, the most exactly important that. three and four It's like, how spots. much should I care yeah. about this 25th or 26th man on the roster? Um, but With your life. But there, but there, is, there are questions. <laughs> Sam, what was your hardest position to judge in this roster? Was there an area that really got you stuck? Striker. You know, and I was fortunate, I won't say who, because that would be betraying some confidence, but I was able to have a good conversation with an, with a player on the USMNT earlier this week, and we were just sort of talking candidly, and I was asking him how he felt about the roster, and he, he was super optimistic and, and, and hopeful about how far they can go, but in terms of the question marks, 
he, just like everyone else, is like, yeah, who's going to be playing up top for us? And is it Jesus Ferreira? It seems like he's sort of in the driver's seat right now. He had, I believe, four goals against Grenada, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, he had a lot of chances that he did not convert in some of the other games. I thought Greg Berhalter went, he surprised me with how far he went in criticizing Haji Wright after El Salvador. Um, you know, he wasn't super involved in that game, but he's not the kind of striker that's going to go and get super involved. He relies on service from other players and his teammates. And again, that pl- that game was played in a difficult in a month game pit. to really like, judge individual performances, in my opinion. I mean, he was he was pretty yeah. invisible in ways that, you know, but but it was a difficult game. I'm not saying he was great, but really, I, I thought it was a little bit harsh. Considering yeah, it just stood out because Greg doesn't do that normally. Exactly. Yeah, so he must have really been down on him after. Um, so, you know, I feel pretty confident that Jesus Ferreira is going to be there. But after that, I have honestly no real idea. I put Ricardo Pepe and Brandon Vasquez, but I don't know. Like, Daryl DK could be there. Hanji Wright could be there. Uh, Josh Sargent, maybe. Yeah, I have Josh Sargent. I know I you, you put on him my, on I mean, your so roster. That, that, I think that transitions us. Before we go through our rosters, like, are there guys going into this season in Europe that you're keeping an especially close eye on that you think could break into your squad? DK. It's DK for you? DK. That's the one for me. Like, he offers something physically that very few players in the pool do at striker. You know, right, sort of, but I would I would say DK is probably a better athlete than Haji Wright is. Um, he has scored goals in the English Championship. Plenty of goals, in fact. We know he did that for Barnsley. He had a good record in terms of per 90 in scoring for Orlando. Um, he wasn't great at the Gold Cup last summer. He was dealing with an injury. Um, and we haven't really seen him with the national team since then. So I'm curious to see if he can kind of work his way back, first of all, into health, because he dealt with some injuries that really prevented him from playing at all at West Brom after he moved there in January. And, and if he can get back to full fitness and, and start finding the back of the net again. And if he does... I think he's got a good chance because physically I think he has a profile that is pretty attractive, especially when you consider, you know, playing against a team like England who has some center backs that, that are big and in, in physical presences. Uh, so Wales the same. Um, so yeah, that's one that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on at that position. What about yeah, you? Yeah, I think for me, it's Josh Sargent. I think, you know, with Norwich going down, does he get regular run as a number nine? I still think Josh Sargent when he's playing, his best soccer has the same qualities or very similar qualities to Jesus Ferreira and his ability to kind of to drop deep, combine, find passing lanes, find spaces at the right time. The problem for Josh is he hasn't been scoring consistently at the club level. He hasn't been playing consistently at the club level and especially at the number nine. Well, he's been he's been playing not, not as a nine as a winger. And so, you know, he's somebody who I think if he got run as a number nine could could push his way back into the picture. Um, I think he would have been involved in the June camp if he didn't pick up an injury. Um, he, he had an ankle injury that kept him out of the June camp. I think, and he he was a player who I I thought had a chance to fight it, fight his way into the picture in June. I think if he is playing, you know, consistently in the championship, he'll be involved in September. So that's my guy. I agree with you on DK. I think he's intriguing. And then the other one who I had in my roster last time, who I don't have in it this time, is Kevin Paredes. You know, I think if, if Paredes is playing consistently in the Bundesliga, if he go, comes through a f- his first full preseason um, and, and comes out of it playing minutes in the Bundesliga, that he has a real chance at a left-back spot, a backup left-back spot that is a real question mark. I ended up bringing Joe Scally on my roster this time around. Um, I think that Serginho Dest is the backup left-back and that we could see DeAndre Yedlin and... Reggie Cannon brought as the right backs and and no up the true backup. Paul, you're giving it all yeah, away I all just, once. I just man. think that that left back spot is there's no one there's no one that's given me enough confidence to say oh we should bring a, a the U S should bring a backup left back versus just use Robinson as death and Death as your two left backs and then trust your right backs yeah. um, Yedlin and Reggie Cannon and Shaq Moore and even Scally you know as um, as the starters, if you have to move death to the left. Yeah. Um, you know, there isn't really a natural left back that has removed himself from the rest of the group in terms of, I deserve to be the guy to back up Anthony Robinson. And if everything goes well, I won't play a second in Qatar. 
Um, so because of that, because of the comparative or hopeful unimportance of that role, I'm more interested in the center backs and what they're going to do. Because I still think it's a bit of an open question. Who's going to start? You have Walker Zimmerman, who's been penciled in for the most part to that number one job on the right-hand side. Aaron Long, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Eric Palmer-Brown, Mark McKenzie, James Sands. Chris Richards. All guys that have... Yeah, all guys that have, you know, had experience at the club level, at the international level in the position. Chris Richards, like you just said, I think is kind of the one who's in the pole position right now to start alongside sort of by default. It seems like he's going to be moving to England. You know, I've been told Crystal Palace, Southampton, both interested in him. So I think he'll end up in the Premier League this summer, um, moving on a permanent deal from Bayern Munich. He was on loan at Hoffenheim, starter when he was healthy last 18 months for them. So I think he's probably likely to start alongside him, but you know, he's been in and out and he has had some injury issues. So I, I don't know. That's a position that concerns me right behind striker. In my opinion, other players I'm keeping an eye on kind of that battle in central midfield. Georgi Mihailovic, you know, we know that he was going to be, be a big part of the team in June. He was going to get that start against Morocco and that role that Aronson played. Can he continue doing well with Montreal? Presumably. Maybe does he get sold? And can he work his way into a team that he hasn't been part of in a long time? Malik Tillman, same thing, right? He, we saw him get a look. He wasn't overly impressive in June, but, but can he find a way? Um, and those are guys that, while I don't think anyone's anticipating them to necessarily be starters, they could be difference makers off the bench. And they would certainly be options. Um, and, and so those are, those are kind of ones I'm looking at. Left back, backup left back, of course, as well. But for me, that, that question is a little less pressing. Yeah. I mean, I'm bringing, I, I put James Sands on my roster because he can play center back. He can play defensive midfield. He can play right back. Um, he can give you depth in multiple spots in a pinch and yeah. he, so I should mention him as a player worth watching. He plays for a, a good Rangers team. I mean, that's a good team that he, that he plays for. He wasn't getting consistent minutes, but he yeah. did play at the end of the year, um, in the Europa, the, yeah, it came off the yeah, bench Europa league, Europa final. league so final. He is, you know, he was working his way more into that team. And I, I was reading a lot on James Sands as I put this roster together and basically, the the reports out of Scotland are that he understands and has communicated to Rangers that he needs to. They, it would it would behoove him to play one position so that he can break into the squad and play consistently in order to have a World Cup spot. And that the message that he's getting from the U.S. camp is that they do see him in contention for that one of these final spots because of his versatility. But they'd like to see him playing more consistently. So he, he's a player worth keeping sure. an eye on. If he breaks into a good Rangers team, if he's playing at center back every game um, in, a, in a back three. Maybe maybe it comes down to him versus Cameron Carter-Vickers, a uh, Rangers-Celtic rivalry. Or maybe, maybe it's between, you know, maybe he starts to push into a conversation. Maybe it's between him and Reggie Cannon where you bring an extra center back versus an yeah. extra right back and you, you bring Scally and, and he's the beneficiary or, or Paredes and you bring two left backs, two right backs because you have Sam. A lot of so permutations. It's... it's you know, there are a lot of people, you know, when I look through my roster that you're going to be keeping an eye on. Scally, how does he develop in the in the Bundesliga this year? Sands. How have we not mentioned Gio Reyna's health is huge. Um, you know, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Um, Tillman. Does Tillman play? Does he go on loan and start playing? I mean, that that's a big part of this as well. Where does Luca De La Torre wind up? I mean, preseason's opening here in some places already, opening soon in others. Um, and there are still huge question marks around some of these um, American players. Brendan Aronson, what does his role look like at Leeds? Uh, Christian Pulisic, does he stay at Chelsea, especially if they get Raheem Sterling? So, so many big questions around Name the whole team. roster. I mean, that's, Name the, that's whole the reality <laughs> of this team right now. I mean, you go through every single position group, literally every single position group, there's a question yeah. going into the season. Tyler Adams, where is he going to be? Stefan and Turner. Like, yeah. so. what, how, what is Matt Turner? I mean... Yeah, it's, it's, there's every single position group. There are quite Horvath. Does he leave Nottingham Forest? He certainly implied as much that he would like to leave and play. They just they just agreed to a loan deal um, for for a goalkeeper. So if he really cares more about playing, then you know maybe he's on the move. So there there's questions everywhere. A lot of permutations, lots for Greg Berhalter to sort of figure out. I imagine a lot will be figured out for him 
based on how these these rules unfold at the club level. Um, but some will not. And he'll have some decisions to make, not just for the September camp, of course, but for Qatar as well. Speaking of decisions to make, Paul, um, MLS summer transfer window is opening shortly. We've already seen some big moves. Uh, those players will be eligible to play for their club soon. We could see some big moves going out, going the other way. Um, we're going to talk about kind of the biggest storylines and the big things we're looking for uh, in the MLS summer window in the final segment. Stay with us on Allocation Disorder. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul. He is Paul Tenorio. We are talking about the MLS Summer Transfer Window. Paul, there have already been a few big deals completed. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne is, is arriving in Toronto momentarily, I believe, um, for those of you that, have, that are listening to this show on the day it comes out. Uh, Giorgio Chiellini signed with LAFC on a targeted allocation money deal. Hector Herrera joining the Houston Dynamo, I believe already down in Texas. Um, So those are some huge names joining MLS. Not as big of a name, but a bigger signing potentially than all but Insigne, certainly from a financial perspective. Columbus Crew signing Colombian forward Cucho Hernandez for $10.5-ish million transfer fee from Watford. Um, young player, 23 years old, uh, has some impressive impressive statistics in his career, but hasn't scored a ton of goals recently. Um, importantly, as Caleb Porter noted, he has a neck tattoo, which I think is the main thing that the crew were looking for in their striker. Um, so <laughs> I, you know, I personally, I did appreciate Caleb Porter kind of making fun of himself there. I did like that comment from him. Um, so those are kind of the big ones, but, but Paul, what, what signing or what potential signing or what potential sale do you think is kind of the biggest storyline for this MLS summer window? Which one are you paying attention to and most intrigued? I think Insigne. I mean, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that deal because of the, because it's been done for so long, but this is the highest paid player in MLS history by like by a double, by a lot. I mean, like he has completely (laughs) changed the price tag on DPs forever. Um, just so much money being spent. And, you know, Toronto's in a weird year, right? They've got a, a roster that's going through some change. They've played a lot of young homegrown players. They're, you know, they're right kind of in the mix for for that playoff spot in the East. Um, I'm going to the standings right now. They're sitting right now in 12th, 12th place. So, like, it's not... <laughs> Right in the mix. Well, they, they right are. The I mean, if you look at the Eastern Conference standing, like, do I think Charlotte is going to be the seventh team? No. I mean, everyone here um, is within five points of that last spot. Charlotte, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Miami, Columbus, Toronto. And six points, D.C., Chicago, if you add one more point of, within that mix of that last spot. That's two games. That's two wins. In this league, that's nothing. Yeah. Plus games yeah, in some hand. Some of those teams have games in hand. Toronto does not. But they, they no, you know. They do. They got one game in hand on Charlotte. Charlotte. That's Give yourself Charlotte. some credit, um, Paul. So, yeah. So, I, I think Insigne, you know, can he be a jo- Jovinko-like signing? Can he completely turn the fortunes of Toronto FC? For me, that is the most... And, and again, when you think about the price tag, he has to. He has to in order to justify what they yeah. spent on him. He has to be an MVP I don't, player. I, I don't know that he will immediately. That team has other problems that he won't really be in an area... He can solve them. Um, but I think eventually if he comes in and he does well, regardless of whether or not the team does well and, and gets above the playoff line, next year is the year for Toronto that they really need to take off. 
And we'll see. You know, that's always been the case. But this year was certainly a rebuilding one for them. For me, I'm going to go a little bit off the board and mention one that we haven't talked about uh, in a while, and certainly not in this segment. But Tati Castellanos with New York City FC. And does he get sold? This is a guy that's been connected to all kinds of clubs in South America and the Premier League. $15 million price tag from what kind of the reports are. No one has met that so far. That would rule out pretty much everybody in South America, I would think, for the most part. Um, But he's been excellent, really, over his entire time in MLS. But last year, certainly, and again this year, New York City FC are actually above the playoff line. In fact, they're in first place in the Eastern Conference uh, with 27 points, although they did suffer a a 3-0 Open Cup loss to the Red Bulls, who are just one point behind them in that Eastern Conference standings. You should have picked the Red Bulls. It was a little early. You were just a year too early. early. You know what? I saw it. I saw it. I had the vision. Vision. Yeah. As as you're a genius. I had the vision. Okay. Um, So, do they sell him? Um, Obviously, that'd be a ton of money that would come into their into their club, City Football Group. Not exactly the organization that that needs a ton of new money coming into their club. Um, but how does that affect them on the field? They're one of the better teams in the league in terms of how they play. Um, obviously, in terms of their points, they obviously yeah, also they have just a new, lost their manager, new, new coach, Ronnie Dyla, yeah. new coach, and Nick Cushing on an interim basis. He was an assistant, so it's not totally unfamiliar. And this isn't this is a team that's not totally unfamiliar with a midseason coaching change. Um, I'm not so concerned about that, that part of it, to be totally honest. Um, but replacing Castellanos, who for me is one of the best players in the entire league, is going to be difficult. And this is a team that actually has planned for this. They have Eber in reserve. They have Talis Magno, who plays on the wing primarily, but can play centrally, would offer a lot, very different profile. But the big thing in MLS going forward isn't just selling but how do you do the succession planning? And how does what does it look like after you sell? And the best clubs are going to be the ones that can transition, not seamlessly, because anytime you lose a player of, of Castellanos' caliber, it's not going to be perfectly smooth. Um, but can you do it and still compete? And, and that is sort of a new frontier that we haven't seen from a lot of MLS teams yet. And I'm curious to see if NYCFC, if they do indeed sell Castellanos, can pull that off can continue to contending at the top of the Eastern Conference and maybe make a run at defending their MLS Cup title. Yeah. Um, speaking of big DPs and first-place teams, Carlos Vela hasn't signed his extension yet, Sam. LAFC is in first place. Signed. Do you think he signs it and he stays for the rest of the year, or do you think he's shopping himself around yeah, Europe? ultimately. I mean, so from what I understand, the deal is, like, agreed to. It's just they just need to you know, maybe dot some I's and cross some T's and actually put pen to paper. But it's taking a long time to do that. And I'm just sort of thinking through it. Why is it taking so long to do that? And it's like, well, maybe Vela is just like throwing a Hail Mary and saying, hey, like before I officially sign this thing, do I have any shot? It may be going elsewhere or maybe getting more money or whatever. Uh, that's kind of the logical conclusion. Yeah, that's no? what it feels like. It feels like it's like I'm not going to sign this thing until I've exhausted every other avenue to make sure that there aren't suitors yeah. out there um, that will pay me, you know, in in the same approximate universe. Or, or maybe maybe it's just a way. Maybe he doesn't even want to leave. Maybe it's just a way to try and get more out of LAFC. You know, I do think he ends up back there, but. I don't think people should overlook the fact that Penn has not been put to paper is, yet. Is there a uh, you know is there an, a, another spot hole team with a DP open DP spot that you think is intriguing? Is there well LAFC for sure, right? NYCFC too um, as well because they only have two on the books at the moment. Um, so those those two, I mean, those are the two best teams in the league. They both have an open DP spot to work with this summer, so they could add theoretically. Um, New England, you know, Books is gone. Turner's gone. Tejan Buchanan already left uh, earlier this season. They they are also above the playoff line, unlike Toronto FC. Um, but it has not been a, a smooth ride there this season. 
Do they look to go and reload this summer? Do they wait until the winter? Are they going to ride it out with Josie Altidore? Do they try and sign a replacement for Buxa at striker? Uh, I don't know. So that's one that I'm looking at. Um, and you know what, Paul? Like, I, I don't think they'll do anything. But Red Bull, do something. Go ahead and do something, man. You're in second in the Eastern Conference. You're playing really well. You just, again, you smashed NYCFC at home in the Open Cup to advance to the semifinals. You have a chance for trophies. You have DP spots available. You have a global scouting network. Why don't you go ahead and tap into that? Sell some energy drinks. Go out and spend a few million bucks and sign a legitimate DP. Lukinas has been great for them. But maybe go out and sign a striker that can really bang in some goals in front of him. I know they have Patrick Lamala. He hasn't been great. Uh, so I don't know. They, they could use another signing to help push them over the top and, and give them the MLS Cup that they do not have as NYCFC fans so roasted them on Twitter about before the game well, you, last night. So, yeah, th- those are some well, of the I mean, if you what look again, you? you go back to those Eastern Conference standings, you talk, you mentioned New England. You you mentioned Toronto. We've mentioned Toronto. DC has a, a DP spot open that they're actively shopping for. A deal fell through. Uh, Pablo Mauer reported a failed physical. Has something to do with it with Kittle from Germany. Although there, there's, there's well, certainly more there are reports in Germany that made it seem like there were contract issues and bonus issues. I mean, the coach came out and, and said, like, I played a role in convincing right. him to stay. And it's like, well, did he fail his physical or did you convince um, him? What so is you've it? got, D, but they, they could have two DP spots open if Flores leaves. So they could, they could make a, a drastic change, which seems, seems like it's going to happen. Seems likely. You know, Chicago, yeah. they don't have any DP spots open, but they could, they could make a couple additions that would help that team, I think. Do they sell Slonina? I think they do, but I think Slonina, if they sell Slonina, I think he stays for the rest of the year. Um, you know, Miami is, it seems to be shopping as well. Um, Atlanta is making moves. They don't have a ton of well, salary Paul, space. Hold on. Let me ask you a question. Is Does Messi to Miami get announced this summer? Or is it a no, winter thing? No, I think if, if when, Messi when goes to we, Miami, I think it would happen happens. somewhere around the World Cup. I think you use that stage to announce Messi to MLS. I think that makes sense. All right, that Maybe would we'll change. That would change our our workload in Qatar, in Qatar a, yeah. a bit. <laughs> I don't think they would do it until after. I don't think Messi would necessarily want that before. Well, what about Charlotte, man? What do you think? Char- you think Charlotte? They're in the mix. They fired their coach. They need. They need international spots. They need. They've played. They've played pretty well. Considering I mean, what we expected they, out of that roster, the fact that they're yeah. there. I mean, this is when, again, this is when the impact starts on expansion teams. When the depth gets tested, you're playing in the summer yeah, I mean, on turf in Charlotte. Like, this is where things, you know, you start to get worn down a bit. At least from my experience covering a, a team that bit. played in harsher weather, certainly Orlando in the summer is a little bit worse than Charlotte in the summer. And, and they are above the line, but it's they are, you know, points per game basis. They're in ninth, you know. So Cincinnati and Atlanta are both ahead of them despite being behind in the standings because of games in hand. And Columbus, I think we we expect to make a jump now after this big signing of Hernandez. They're, with, they're within three points, and they have two games in hand on Charlotte. So it's going to be a fight for them to try and stay above the line. Um, but they've, they've outpaced our expectations by a lot so far, Paul. Uh, and so maybe they will continue to do so. Um, I... We'll see. Um, they do have an open DP spot. Will they use it? I don't know. Um, they don't have much room to... Man- they, they need to acquire international slots in order to have any sort of room to maneuver um, unless they can get some green cards or unless they've gotten green cards that they have not announced. So that needs to be a hurdle. Um, but I don't know, man. It's it, it's a weird build. It's obviously one that I've had thoughts on on this show as well we don't need to rehash those necessarily but uh they need they need attacking help for sure 16 goals in in 16 games it's one of the lowest totals in the entire league so they need some they need a boost speaking of teams that have outpaced Um, expectations i think i picked rsl to finish like last or second to last in the west how's that looking for me little little team that could man just like last year Everyone picked them last, second to last. They made the conference final, and here they are. Second in the West, second in the league. It doesn't really – it defies explanation in a lot of ways. They lost Albert Rusnak. 
Demir Krylak is injured and has barely played and is going to be out for most of the rest of the year. <laughs> um, so you're, you're literally playing without your two best players from last season. Um, obviously, they brought in Savarino and some other guys as well. But they just they keep on trucking along. The vibes are a lot better out there. They're selling a lot of tickets. They're packing the stadium. They're close to packing the stadium. Uh, most home games. Um, and credit to Pablo Mastroeni and Elliot Fall and that entire group. Uh, no one, I think, really no. expected this from them. And yet here they are uh, in really good position. So, you know, long way to go. Only halfway point of the season. But and I, they've certainly I do want to point out, it's, a, it's another, you know, a tight battle for those final two playoff spots already. Really final three when you look at um, fifth, sixth, seventh, 24, 23, 20 points. And then below that, you have 20, 19, 18, 18, 16, 16, 15. I mean, this is typical MLS where... Everyone still feels like they have a chance going into the summer window. And the question is, which teams are going to take advantage of that window? Which teams are going to figure things out? You know, I expect Seattle to, to push their way up the standings as we go here. But, you know, what are, what what's Vancouver? Yeah, sort of in the process. Right, what are Vancouver, Colorado, Houston gets Herrera, Minnesota, Sporting Kansas City, Portland? What are the moves they're making? San Jose, you know, are, are is there a team here who's going to make a push coming out of this window? Um, there will be one. Who will it be? We do not know. I I want to maybe we close out on this. Greg Vanny, LA Galaxy head coach, had an interesting quote after the Galaxy lost their Open Cup quarterfinal at home, two to one, to Sacramento Republic of USL. Um, the Galaxy went for it. They played a strong lineup. They they wanted to win this game and they fell short. Jonathan Klinsman had a tough go in goal, but Vanny's quote. He was talking about wanting to go for the Open Cup and, and the reasoning for that. He said part of it is for the experience like we had tonight. And okay, it didn't go our way, but this is what it feels like to lose in a knockout game or a game that matters. You only have so many games over the course of the season that are like this, where there's really something on the line, where you feel that. And it's like, yeah, duh, obviously. But isn't it... Man, it's just... I don't, what do you think of that, Paul? Because I have thoughts, but as you can tell, I'm struggling to articulate. Look, I, there's always going to be a difference between a knockout game and a league game, period. E- even if you're in a super competitive league. But yeah, of course, you want when you're fighting for a trophy, when you're fighting for, you know, in a European team, when you when the supporter shield is what you're fighting for, right? The idea of finishing first in the league is the most important trophy then every game feels that way. I mean, when you when we look at the Premier League title race this last year, you know, that every result mattered for Liverpool and Man City. You know, and they and they understood that. They knew the stakes, especially late in the season, every single result mattered. And you know, in MLS, I do think we'll get to a point in this season where when you're fighting for those playoff spots, though for those teams, every result is going to be important. For those teams from 6th place through 11th or 12th place they're going to be in it all the way down the stretch fighting for those final few points to get in or, or be out of the playoffs but i think where mls struggles a bit more is is kind of creating competition at the top of the respective conference tables because once you're in that first through fourth or if you're comfortably in fifth you kind of know you're in the playoffs and yeah maybe you're trying to fight for a home playoff game but the playoffs are a crapshoot and so once you're in, you're in, and then it's about focusing on on those knockout games. So that's that's the dilemma here. I do think that you do get more for the middle table, mid table, and low table teams that they they have more to fight for over the course of the season, yeah. or more teams fighting for it um, than you know than just the bottom relegation teams in Europe. But certainly there is. You know, there are moments where where games don't matter as much because you have so much room to catch up in MLS because everything is so condensed, yeah. you never really feel out of it. Yeah. And, and, and that's I don't know, to put a to put to take this to a bigger level and to tie it to the TV rights discussion. I think this is a huge problem for MLS. And I'm I don't I don't know if you're ever gonna solve it because promotion and relegation is not a thing that's going to happen here. Not certainly not any time in the next few decades. Maybe you have some sort of closed version of it, but even that is sort of hard to imagine. And and so without that, and with a large playoff field like you have now, 
there are going to be games that feel like they don't really matter for most of the regular season. There just simply aren't a lot of stakes attached to them. And that's not necessarily logical. Three points in June counts the same as three points in October, right? But that is a reality for the players and for the coaches. And I think Vanny's quote sort of speaks to that. And I think this is a major thing when you talk about viewership and growth of the league. Because fans know that a game in June isn't going to be viewed or felt the same way by the players and the teams as a game in October. And they know that there's tons of wiggle room for them to lose and have an off night and not have it really matter all that much. And and that makes creating a national league where, okay, I might be an LA Galaxy fan, but I'm going to tune in to SKC versus Seattle on Sunday night or whatever it may be because I'm interested in MLS and everything happening around it. It makes creating that almost almost impossible, I would argue. Certainly really difficult. And I don't know how MLS really solves for that. You could tie financial incentives to performance. You could do certain could decrease things. the playoff field. Um, I mean, I think when you go to thirty teams, you could, but that that creates that creates a problem on the other side, where when you're out of it, the games really don't matter, right? So yeah, but I think I think you have seven <sighs> right now. You have seven teams in each, so you have seven. You have fourteen out of twenty eight teams qualifying half, half the league. Half the league. I think when split. you go to thirty, you can't at minimum you can't touch it, um, but. You know, there are there could be ways to do it where But this is the same problem that Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NHL suffer yeah. from too. It's they are long seasons and a lot of teams make the playoffs, less so in MLB than the others, but their season's way longer. Um and and you know as a fan, like, well, okay, any given night if we win, lose doesn't really mean too too yep. much. And and that's a difficult thing for MLS to have to solve for that other soccer leagues, frankly don't really have to worry about when you're talking dealing with promotion and relegation and everything meaning well they 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 still have to deal with it i mean there are still mid table there to there degree, are places between degree. the Euro- european qualifiers and the relegation zone where those games matter very yeah. little to not at all and you hope right. and you hope but, that they're playing against the team but, that's in it right but they but they do matter in the sense that every place in the premier league is worth something like 3 or 4 and a half million dollars i can't remember the exact number off the top of my head you get more money for finishing higher in the standings. And, and so it matters to the club and, and it matters to individual players because more money at the club means they can make more. <laughs> so tying that directly is maybe a way around it, but this speaks to a bigger issue in MLS that I'm not sure there's ever going to be a perfect solution for. As you mentioned, Paul, there's no perfect solution for it really anywhere. Um, but in MLS, the games, in my opinion, don't matter enough on a week-to-week basis. And that's just a difficult thing. And I think we see that have a lot of far-reaching effects in this league. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I I do think that um, one way that that some of it gets helped or aided or solved, not solved, but certainly that maybe get a little bit closer to those, those European leagues is that as MLS becomes more and more and more part of the global market, as we've seen, that all those players are still kind of thinking of themselves as being in shop windows. And I think that helps in a lot of European leagues as well. Um, sure. But yeah, it's, there's no, there's no right way to go about it. Um, the playoffs are really exciting. I mm. think, I think, I think if you went down to six teams, you, you're still keeping teams close enough that, you know what? Yeah. Maybe you lose the interest for the 14th place team in the league, but that's good. I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather have, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd rather have that. Like I don't, I'm less interested yeah. in watching, you know, the the style of some of these teams that are sneaking into the playoffs in seventh place, or you know, and that are fighting for it down to the last day. And I, I, I just, don't, I have less interest in those teams. I want the, I want the games to matter at the top more than they matter at the bottom. And so, if you decrease the playoff size and you create higher stakes games for teams that are in fourth place, third place, all the way through eighth place or ninth place in each conference. And the, the competition goes up because of that. And everyone knows, you know, the stakes of, of getting into the playoffs or not. I think that helps, but I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think we'll see them drop the size of the, of the playoff field down. Paul, um, one last thing. News just dropped as we were recording before we, before we hang up and get out of here. Minnesota United, just announced 
a contract extension for Adrian Heath through the 2024 season. Initial reaction to that? I'm not surprised by it. I mean, he, you know, since he took over as the essentially sporting director and coach, they've been a consistent playoff team. They've, there's, they're, they have not been, they've good not been good this year, but they've been consistently in the hunt. Whereas before they weren't ever, you know, before that move was made. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. I, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that if other people are, but the time the timing's a bit strange to me. They're just considering the results this year. They have 18 points through 15 games. They like Toronto FC are below the playoff line. Um, they're in 12th or 11th place. It's just been kind of a struggle. So I don't know. They're, they're dealing with. Yeah, I mean they're two points. They're two points timing, out of the playoffs. Timing on that one's weird. They're two points out of the playoffs. Timing on that is weird. But how how often do you see coaches in eleventh place in their conference and towards the bottom of the league get extensions? Sure. But again, that's, the reason it doesn't surprise me is because he's he's more than the coach there, and that there was a there was a significant change in overall direction sure. of the team once that change was made. In my opinion, yeah, no, fair fair enough. So he will be under contract if he finishes that contract through twenty four. What is that? The first nine seasons of Minnesota United FC that he'll be head coach for or first eight. I can't do math. It's yeah, been a long, in 20, long show. 17. 17. So. Yeah. So it'll be first eight seasons. Um, Paul, enjoy next week, dude. I'm excited to see what you do with the platform. Well, I, I take great comfort in knowing that you will be listening to the show on a hammock in Hawaii, watching <laughs> it on YouTube. Exactly. I'm Sam. He is Paul. Until next time, this has been Allocation Disorder.